Gracious Father, we just sang these words, Lord, speak words of life to me. I pray that you would do that among us this morning. You know what we all brought in this morning. You know the things that are on our hearts and our minds, the things that weigh us down, the the things that preoccupy us. We We bring it all to you this morning. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, take this glorious ancient word of yours and bring life to us. Let it truly be to us, not just today, but as we walk forward, more precious than anything we could ever imagine. Because in it, we find life. In it, we find you. And Jesus, you are what our hearts long for. We pray that you open our hearts now to the fullness of your presence among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. One of the things as, that we recognize as we read the Scriptures is this, is they were not meant merely to inform us. They were meant to transform us. Don't you think about that for a minute. The Scriptures, as we open God's Word, it wasn't merely meant to just inform us about God and things. It's that, but I think in a greater way, the Word of God is really meant to transform us. Yeah, one of the challenges when we read the Scriptures, and I'm, I'm sure many of you will, will, will see this struggle, is, is we often look at it as a history book. As we read page after page, we, we, we read about events that took place thousands of years ago, and it can be easy to think, what does that have to do with my life right here, right now? Every time we read the Scriptures, there's one thing that we're invited into, <laughs> There's an invitation for us to enter into the story, to find ourselves in the very story of this ancient text, that as we find ourselves in the story, what we see is we come to know God more clearly. We come to know who He is more intimately. We come to see ourselves more as God sees us. See, the Scripture comes alive when we find ourselves in the middle of the story, And that's what I want us to do this morning as we look at this rather lengthy passage that was read just a moment ago, John chapter 11. And I want you to, as we unpack this story this morning, I want to invite you to see yourself in the story. Where are you? Who are you in this story? What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What are you thinking? What's being stirred in you as we unpack this story? What is God wanting to reveal to you about himself this morning through this story? That's what it looks like to enter in. So two things we're going to do as we look at this rather long story is this. First, we're going we're to recognize that Jesus sees us. He sees us right where we are. And secondly, Jesus longs and loves to reveal more of himself to us as we find ourselves in this story. Let me, let me set the stage. You heard it read about a man named Lazarus who had died and his sisters Martha and Mary are distraught. Well, what we did not read in the story was the beginning of it where Lazarus and Martha and Mary live in this town of Bethany. Lazarus had become sick, so Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus. He wasn't in the town with them at that moment. They send word to him to say, our brother is sick. Here's what we pick up in in verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But Jesus heard it and said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then we read, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So what we find here, their brother had become sick. He ultimately dies. They send word to Jesus. But what happens is he doesn't come right away. He waits two days before he comes to them. Now, I don't know what you're feeling in that moment, but you can only imagine what Martha and Mary are feeling, right? They knew Jesus. They walked with him. They were disciples of his. They had seen Jesus perform countless miracles. Multitudes of people were healed. And here they are with their brother whom Jesus truly loved, and he didn't come and heal him. He stays away for a few days. And there's challenges here as we look at this. And, and from one vantage point, often our vantage point, we can see this story and go, that's a helpless situation that they found themselves in. They were beside themselves. What's going on? Until we understand Jesus' role in the midst of this. I want you to think about this in light of this story. What if Jesus was doing something far greater in their midst, in the midst of what's going on? What if he really was in control of that bleak situation that they found themselves in? What if he really knew exactly what they needed in that moment? What if he knew that? You see, he did. And that's why Jesus says these words. He waits to, to come to Lazarus until he dies, and he says this reason. I'm waiting that the people may believe so that they would see the glory of God. What's he doing? Friends, here's one thing I want us to look at as we journey in this story. When we are faced with the unknown, when we don't understand the circumstances in which we find ourselves in, when we are confused, when sorrow fills our hearts, what if you believed that Jesus saw you? What if you believed that Jesus saw right where you are in that very moment? What I want to pose is this. He doesn't just see you in that moment. He sees where he's taking you. He sees the whole scene. Friends, because Jesus sees where we are, he is both our present provision and our future hope. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because he sees right where we are in the midst of whatever's going on in your life right now, he is your present provision and he is your future hope. I was on a call yesterday, uh, I'm doing this course, and, and, and there's, there, there's the Zoom call that we're on for a couple of hours on uh, Saturday mornings, and, and I'm with folks from all over the country in this breakout room, and a number of them are pastors, not everyone on our call on that Zoom, but it was amazing to hear different ones share what they were going through in that moment. Hard seasons of ministry, hard seasons of life, challenging family things. And, and they're sharing this. And I, and I couldn't help but, as I'm listening to everyone going, God really does see. He really does see. He really does know right where we are because he knows this world is messy. He knows how messy our lives can be. And he knows where we are and he knows what we need. You see, friend Jesus, friends, Jesus sees where you are and he is fully in control. Martha and Mary thought the situation was out of control. They didn't understand why Jesus didn't come, but he knew exactly what he was doing. And I want you to hear this morning, he knows exactly what he's doing in your life right now. A couple of passages I want to read that, that connect this. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays this beautiful prayer uh, to the people in the church of Ephesus, and in it he's recognizing that Jesus has died and been resurrected, and he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory, and he is ruling and reigning 
over every part of life right here, right now. Here's what Paul prayed. Or, and and he, wrote, he prayed this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. He's speaking about Jesus reigning as king for you and me right now. Friends, I want you to see as Jesus rules and reigns over everything in this world, he knows where you are and he sees you. And he is in control of right where you are in this very moment. Even in the midst of our doubt and fear, friends, God is in control. He knows how to bring active help because he's a reigning king for you and me. Another passage that many of you will be familiar with is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that everything we go through is good because it's not. There is plenty of pain There's plenty of discouragement. There's plenty of sorrow. We don't always go through good things in this life, but what do we know? It tells us that God knows and he is working even in those painful, difficult places to work out his glorious will for our lives. He is with us in those very places. Paul goes on in Romans 8, 31 and 32, and he writes these words, what then shall we say to these things? The the reality, right? What do we say to these things? And I love his response. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Yet it doesn't say he's going to give us everything we want. He knows better than that. Because I know a lot of things that I want, I think are going to be really good, but he knows, no, if you get that, it's not going to be so good. But he knows what we need. And he is a good father who always provides and graciously gives us everything he knows we need. Amen. Is that good news? Friends, that's what we need to hear in the midst of this. What I love is we unpack this passage. Jesus sees Martha and Mary, but he also wanted them to see him. Seeing goes both ways, doesn't it? They needed to see more fully who he really is especially in difficult times. And so as the story unfolds, Lazarus is dead. He's buried in a, in a, in a tomb. And, and, and Martha goes to meet Jesus. He wasn't in Bethany yet. So she goes out to meet him. And they have this conversation back and forth. And obviously, she's in tears. She's very distraught. And, and we are able to enter into this scene. And here's what we read. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, here's what we see here. Martha believed in who Jesus was. She believed in the reality of the resurrection, that those who follow him will one day be resurrected when Jesus comes back. She knew that reality, but that was a long way off. And really, that wasn't the most comforting news that she needed in that moment. And so what Jesus does, and I love this, he tells her something that is so profound and life-changing. He says these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you know what he's telling Mary, Martha in this moment? 
He's saying this, our hope is not in an event, our hope is in a person. You see that? She was thinking about an event that would take place way in the future. But what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying the resurrection is not just an event, it's a person and it's me. I am the life that you need in this very moment and it's in this time that Jesus begins to, if you will, if you're at a, at a theater and the curtains begin to be peeled back and you see what you could not see before, Martha begins to see Jesus, that he is really present with her, and that's exactly what she needs in that moment. You see, we get a greater glimpse into the life of Jesus. A few years ago, I was reading a devotional, and, and I can't remember who wrote it. I wish I could, because I love this statement that I'm going to quote you. And here's what the author wrote about this scene. Lazarus' sickness and death is not an obstruction to Jesus, but an occasion for Jesus to to reveal exactly how God loves the world in him. It wasn't an obstruction. It wasn't a mistake. It was an opportunity for Jesus to reveal more of his glory, the glory of the Father who sent him into this world to love and redeem and do battle with death. And that's, about, that's what we're about to see happen. You see, Jesus shows us in this passage as he is talking to Martha, he knows how difficult sorrow is. He knows how difficult pain and loss are. And in verse 35, we read that Jesus wept. He wept. Friends, I don't want you to miss this, how intimate Jesus is for you and me, how glorious and beautiful his heart is to you and me. He feels what we feel. When we weep, he weeps. He knows what sorrow and grief are all about. And he entered into their grief as he saw them. That's how personal our Savior is. I want you to see that. Because some of you need to know that's who he is for you right this very moment. He feels the pain where you are. And he knows exactly what you need. And he promises to bring it. But what's interesting, as Jesus is being more, more of him is being revealed in this scene, one of the things we need to understand is this. When we read that Jesus wept, it wasn't just because he was connecting to their heart. That's true. But there's something deeper happening in the life of Jesus in this very moment. The word that, that is translated in the Greek that Jesus wept is a different word from where Martha and Mary and the mourners wept. It's a different word. It's a word that that encompasses this this deep rage, outrage in his heart that comes out, as you will, will, as as tears flowing from his eyes. B.B. Warfield put it so beautifully once when he wrote this describing this scene. He wrote that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. You see, Jesus was about to do business with death itself. Warfield went on and he wrote, Inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. It is the death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy fill his eyes, but this is no accident. His soul is held in rage. The raising of Lazarus thus becomes not an isolated marvel, but a decisive incident, an open symbol of Jesus' conquest 
of death and hell. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is so outraged at what death does to his creation. How death robs us of life. And it's ultimately who's behind death but Satan. And he becomes so outraged that death, that the enemy steals life from his creation. And he's about to go do death with Lazarus in that tomb. And he is going to do battle with our enemy. That's why he's so enraged, if you will. You see, friends, Jesus understands how ugly sin and death are. He gets it. He knows what that does to you and to me. And in this scene, as Jesus does battle with the death and raising Lazarus from the grave, what is also on his mind is an event that's going to happen about two days later. He himself would die. He would find himself in a tomb after he did battle ultimately with the enemy for you and me on the cross. Friends, this is a story that points us to something so much greater of Jesus' absolute love for you and me. That he would come because he knows what death does. He knows what sin does. It separates us from him. But he goes to the cross for you and me to take our punishment upon himself. Why? So that the love of the Father would be poured out for you and me. Do you see this here? And Jesus, the Son of God, willingly gave up his life for a bunch of sinful people who despised and rejected him. But that was the only way that we could be reunited with the Father. Friends, this is the beauty of the resurrection. Amen? When Jesus says these words, I am the resurrection and the life, he knew that the grave was not going to hold him. Because as he was raised from the grave, friends, so are we who trust in him. Let me wrap all of this up right here. In this scene, we see that Jesus sees us. He sees where you are. He sees what you've done. And he meets you in that very place. He doesn't just see us. He comes and reveals more of himself so that we would be drawn to him to find that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He alone is the one who brings resurrection to you and me. But friends, here's the good news we've got to remember every day. Resurrection is not just about a future event. It is about a person who came to bring life to you and me right here, right now. We miss the life-transforming work of Jesus in our daily lives if all we think about is the resurrection is a future event. Because what Jesus is doing right now, being the resurrection and the life, he is meeting us in those places as we die to sin and he brings us to new life. There are places in all of our lives that we're being called to die to sin, die to those places. Why? So that we can experience resurrection life today. Friends, if Jesus has power and authority over death, Let me tell you, he has power and authority over everything going on in your life right now. He has power and authority over that. Not the enemy. He defeated the enemy. We need to hear that this morning. I think so often we yield to say, I can't, the enemy has a greater hold on me. Well, I'm going to tell you, no, he doesn't. Because Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross for you and me. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Where do you long for Jesus to bring his resurrection power 
and life into you today? Where do you need him to bring resurrection power, resurrection life? Where do you need to see the power and authority of Jesus become more and more real to you? Is it giving you strength to fight besetting sin that you know is there and you get so tired and weary of it? Friends, we have resurrection power in us through the Holy Spirit that enables us to to, to put those things to death so that we can experience life because sin kills us. What are those things for you? Let me name a few to kind of get your wheels spinning. Maybe you need God to put to death places of greed in your life. Gossip, lust, anger towards someone, resentment. Maybe you're needing God to show you that he gives you power and authority to encounter sobriety, to be freed from an addiction. He gives us power and authority. We don't have it on our own. We can't muster it up on our own to break free, but he gives us resurrection power and life right here, right now. So I was praying about this, where we need resurrection power and life. I believe that there's some of you here this morning who have heard words. Maybe it was from a mother or a father or someone in authority over you. They spoke words that instead of being life-giving, they robbed you of life, and they continue to rob you of life. Maybe you had someone say you weren't beautiful enough. Maybe you had someone say you weren't good enough. You weren't smart enough. Friends, those are lies from the enemy. And he loves to hold us bound for years in those lies. But I want you to hear this morning, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He has come to break those lies and to bring you the truth of his redeeming grace to set you free. And if that is any of you this morning, I pray that you would find such freedom in the power of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So, friends, have you found yourself in this story this morning? Where have you found yourself? What has the Lord shown you? What I would say is take this story as you journey in this week ahead. See what he wants to continue to show you. And I want you to receive his resurrection power and life. He has defeated the enemy. The chains are broken. So the call and the invitation is that we would rise up as sons and daughters of God, receiving this grace, living in the freedom of the life that the resurrection brings. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, I thank you for this ancient word that is so real for us today. Thank you that through it we find life. We find freedom. We find healing. Yes, you are doing that among us, and I pray that you continue to throughout this service. Father, as we come to the table in just a moment to kneel before you, to receive your body and your blood, would you use these gifts to bring resurrection life to us today? Would you bring through your spirit new life, new hope, new freedom like never before, not just a a little feeling, but a new and changed life in you. Come, Holy Spirit, move mightily among us and open our eyes that we, as we journey through this season of Lent for two more weeks, 
that we would experience more and more of the glory of the resurrection of our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please stand.